listening to the Equipoise podcast. Today's episode, A Community in Crisis. Over this last week, the Midcoast Maine community of which I am a part was rocked by a crisis unlike any before it, a mass shooting. On Wednesday evening, one man named Robert Card murdered 16 people and wounded nearly as many more just a short drive from my home, a city where we eat pizza at the nearest pizza hut to my house, a city where I helped someone move an air conditioner once, a, a city where some of my parishioners live. The fact that I spent the last two weeks discussing how we should process the death of innocence at the hand of murderers followed by the appropriateness of the death penalty is not lost on me. I had no idea that those two episodes would be so sadly darkly appropriate for the week we just endured as a community. And I had no idea that today I would be recording an episode as someone who has had to put into practice the principles that I put forth in my podcast over the last two weeks. I confess that it's somehow quite different when it happens in your community than when it happens anywhere else, whether it's the Middle East or even other places in the United States. I think it's inevitable. The way we process it is different. It has to be. The way we collectively held our breath as a community and slept with one eye open while we waited for the police to find a killer over the two days following the shooting. The way we got used to the sound of helicopters and sirens over the same two days. The way we wept because we actually interacted with the people who were brutally murdered, whether we were near strangers who once shook their hand or maybe we were a loved one who once held their hand. People we knew were murdered. It's just different. Among these differences is how quickly we as a community moved to imprecation. In a largely progressive state proud of not having a death penalty since 1887, it was admittedly surprising to hear how many people didn't want this guy behind bars. They wanted him dead. Even our state's governess, when giving the press conference upon learning that Robert Card was found deceased, took on a resounding, almost victorious tone of voice when she announced, He's dead to the nearly rejoicing rabble of reporters that had assembled to hear the tidings. And I get that. This man was a mass murderer, and the people of my community weren't thinking of how they were going to show him mercy once they caught him. I won't rehash last week's episode, but I think that this is a glimpse at that intrinsic intuition common to the human experience that knows that death deserves death. In short, this event has had an entire state coming face-to-face with feelings and emotions they've never had to process before, which leads me to the point of this episode, which is going to draw from the second half of an abridged article I wrote on the matter about a balanced way to respond to these same feelings as Christians. Here it is as follows. When something like this happens, how should we feel? Of course, we're all going to process this differently, depending on a whole host of factors, including our proximity to the event and our relationship to the victims, but there are bound to be a variety of ways we all will and should feel as a result of what's happened. In fact, it's part of our very design. First, we should feel shock and even denial. This is something that should never happen, so when it does, well, we're phased, stunned. We aren't used to processing this, and we should never have to get used to processing this. I'm sure Adam and Eve were shocked when they learned of Abel's slaughter at the hands of his jealous brother. I remember when I learned of my own brother's death as a result of gun violence. I stood up, bent forward, and I couldn't really move. I was shocked. I couldn't imagine that it had happened, and part of my brain refused to accept it. It's okay to be shocked. And don't feel like you've got to rush past this phase. It's there for a reason. Secondly, we should feel sorrow and compassion. I grieve for these victims and for the ones, especially the children, who have yet to learn to cope with the evils of this world, as some of us adults have, who witnessed this sickening series of attacks that left so many dead and wounded. 
I am so sorrowful for my community. I sympathize and weep with those involved that extends to a spirit of compassion and desire to help, born of my sorrow for the terrible event that transpired. It's normal for us to feel sorrow and compassion. And I am sorrowful for the perpetrator's family who will now shoulder ignominy and likely much guilt for the rest of their lives. The ripple effect of a tragedy like this impacts so, so many people. And sorrow and compassion is a normal and good response. Thirdly, we should feel anger and indignation. It is normal to feel anger toward those who hurt innocent people, and this is not ungodly. It is quite the opposite, in fact. It's a very godly thing to feel angry and indignant toward people who do others harm. It would be very improper and inhumane of us to see evil being perpetrated on others and not be moved with anger on behalf of those being victimized and oppressed. This is a good way to feel. It makes you more human, not less. But is there a limit to our anger, particularly as Christians? Where do we draw the line? Well, it's here that I'm going to move to how we should respond to these feelings, where we'll tackle that question and others, but I'm going to address these in the same order as I introduce them. With regards to the shock and denial that we feel, we should respond by slowly, honestly coming to terms with what happened. This isn't always an overnight thing. We need to let it sink in, settle in, that a man, for whatever reason, chose to violate God's good world in a very evil way and hurt others. He disregarded the most basic elements of humanity when he took the lives of other people. This did happen, and it was tragic. It is okay and good to let the reality of this reform your view of the world as you process it. That's not necessarily becoming calloused, it's becoming aware. This is, in part, what it means to grow and mature, to capture a view of the world previously unseen due to naivety. We should respond to our sorrow and compassion by embracing and moving toward these feelings rather than pushing them down or away. It is good and okay to be sad. It is healthy to cry. It is normal to feel compassion. I remember about 10 years ago, I once watched a very short video clip of a child with cancer and wept deeply. I sobbed more deeply than I perhaps have since, along with my wife. It wasn't my child, but it was someone's child, and it was a human. I felt deeply sad because something deeply sad was happening. This is good and normal and human. Now, I do want to note that as far as compassion goes, I have noticed that when a tragedy like this happens, those of us with no power to act directly within the situation to resolve it will typically initially respond with offering prayers or sending thoughts to the universe for those less inclined to invoke God, for the families of the afflicted, those who are first responders, and sometimes even for the deceased themselves. This is a normal response to the feelings of sorrow and compassion. We want to do something. Now, there will always be those who mock thoughts and prayers, especially as cries for gun reform increase in our nation, but I believe there's a reason why we intuitively turn to petitions to God, even sometimes among unbelievers, that transcends mere sentimentality. I think it's more than a cultural inculcation or vestigial reflex. I think it's a meaningful, natural expression of a deeply held, long-ingrained belief that there is a just God who hates violence and injustice just as much as we do. And it's a cry for him to make things right. This is what Jesus meant, by the way, when he described hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This is that very cry of the heart for rightness and justice to be brought into this world and abide here. Sometimes our sorrow leads to hard questions, such as how could this happen? Or as a 10-year-old victim asked when she was interviewed, why do people do this? We might also ask, where is God in all of this? This is a good way to respond to our sorrow. Instead of arbitrarily ascribing meaning to something tragic, well, God must have wanted more angels in heaven, or it was just their time, or some other meaningless tripe, we should lean into this opportunity to wrestle with these questions and our grief and answer them with deep and meaningful lamentation. In short, it's okay and good and right to ask questions. The Psalms are full of them. 
And lastly, how do we respond to the anger and indignation we feel toward the shooter? Do we curse him? Do we rage and seethe and foam at the mouth? Do we celebrate that he's dead? How far do we go? Is there a limit to our imprecations during a time like this? Since I recently discussed this two weeks ago, I'm not going to go too deeply into it here, but I do believe that as Christians, we should strive to find the balance between break the teeth in their mouths, God, like in Psalm 58, and Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing, Luke 23. And do keep in mind that Robert Card has a hurting family that loved him and knew him before he was a killer. That's a dynamic not many people are considering at a time like this. Everyone involved is human. Ultimately, the message of Jesus was that hating our enemies makes us killers ourselves, degrading and dehumanizing the image of God that rests on us all. We are called instead to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. We even die for the ones who kill us, if you take Jesus and Paul seriously. We should not respond to our anger by taking vengeance into our own hands or spewing hatred. Yes, we should be angry. Yes, we should be indignant very much so. We should desire justice, but we should not become murderers also. Nonetheless, on balance, there remains an obligation as a society to properly punish the evildoer with the punishment befitting of his crime. I spoke on this last week, and though vengeance is not the primary goal of capital punishment, it is nonetheless accomplished in it, and I believe rightfully so. You can listen to last week's episode for more on that. In the end, we move forward by processing what's happened. We ask the hard questions. We shed our tears. We offer our help as the hands and feet of Jesus. We come to grips with the nature of this world, forever change with each sin that's been committed, including this heinous murder spree. We channel our anger by turning this person over to God and say, vengeance is yours, not mine. And then we do the hardest thing of all. We love the shooter. Even in rightly wishing for justice to be carried out, we still love the murderer because... Christ first loved us. And until next time, stay balanced, and please pray for my community during this time. <laughs>